Hi, and welcome to another episode of the MedTech Matters podcast, where we learn about someone impacting the medical device industry. I'm Sean Fatsky, Editor-in-Chief of MPO and host of the podcast. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Juliana Blum, Co-Founder and Executive VP of Corporate Development at Humasite. Dr. Blum, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks, Sean. Love to be here. Great. Well, happy to have you. Um, so, you know, let's let's start right at the beginning. Um, what is Humasite? And and please tell us a little bit about your technology. Sure. Humasite is redefining what's possible in regenerative medicine. I feel like there's been a lot out there about what the possibilities of regenerative medicine can be, and we're actually demonstrating that uh, currently with our technology. Um, we're a small company in, in Durham, North Carolina, creating bioengineered acellular tissues at commercial scale. Um, it's a technology I've been part of since the beginning, and it's been a long time in the making, as you can imagine, uh, creating a biological implant, one that's acellular and universally implantable is not something that happens uh, overnight. But uh, hmm. the technology that we're working on, on first is called the Human Acellular Vessel, or HAV, and we create that acellular vessel to be used in many different vascular settings. And the ones that we're focused on right now, and that'll be our first opportunities will be to use that product for patients needing dialysis access um, to treat end-stage renal disease or for those who need vascular replacement or repair because of a vascular injury due to trauma or even peripheral arterial disease. So is, is this basically a fabricated, you know, a man-made version of what would previously have been a, a graft? Is it an alternative for a graft? Yes, this is an alternative to what's typically used in, in the vascular setting, setting now in, in many applications, uh, a synthetic or, or plastic graft like PTFE. Um, and we bioengineer it in, in, a, in a commercial scale manufacturing system that we've created from the ground up um, over the last 15 years to be able to bioengineer vascular implants that are mechanically stable and able to be implanted into the patient at the time of need. And I think the key attribute of our technology is that once this product, this HAV, is implanted into the patient, that HAV remodels or regenerates with the patient's own cells to become part of their living vascular tissue. So although we're similar in terms of structure and, and um, capability of a synthetic graft, we're biological in the sense that the product remodels and repopulates and becomes part of the patient's living tissue. And they'll have that tissue for the rest of their life. Wow. So it, do, it doesn't bioabsorb in. It's, it actually becomes a part of the, the patient's, uh, you know, natural biological system. Exactly. If you think about it kind of like a scaffold or a, a tubular sponge, we put that mm -hmm. HAV into the patient, and all those small, tiny, microscopic um, openings in that scaffold allow for cells to crawl in and repopulate and regenerate that scaffold, that HAV, into a living tissue. So the extracellular matrix protein that's the structure of the HAV is repopulated with cells who then continue to manage that tissue and create a multi-layer vascular structure. So since this is... Uh bioengineered is there uh does that eliminate the potential or the threat of rejection like you would have if you're using a donor 
uh, graft, you know, from, from another person or anything like that? Is that eliminated? In our case, in our, in our technology, it is. And, and the key to that, so we do use donated vascular cells seated onto mm-hmm. a scaffold to create the initial structure. But at the end of our bioengineering process, we, pr- we put that structure through a step called decellularization, where we remove all of the cells that were used to create that structure, that protein structure, and mm-hmm. remove the donor identity from the HAV so that the HAV can be implanted into any patient without a chance of a rejection or stimulating an immune response. So it's truly universal. Wow. So you mentioned, uh, you know, you mentioned that you're using it uh, or it's currently uh, being used for vascular. Um, You know what, I mean, it it sounds like this has a a wealth of application, but can you share some of the other uh, target applications that you're either uh, developing or exploring or, you know, you may be at a different stage, but um, some of the other applications for this technology? Absolutely. You know, for the last 15 to 20 years, we've really focused on developing and engineering the human acellular vessel. But in, I would say, the last 5 to 10 years, what we've really become to, to understand is that what we have is a bioengineering platform that can be modified and expanded to increase the opportunities we can, we can make and generate or engineer with this platform. So the human acellular vessel is our first opportunity, and we kind of refer to that now as a simple tissue structure, um, although working <laughs> on it for over 20 years, you may not think right. it's simple, um, but it's the, it's the starting point for all of the technology that's to come from the platform or all of the opportunities that are to come from the platform. So, for example, even with that, that tubular platform, we can adjust the length and the diameter to engineer smaller diameter vessels for cardiac bypass for patients needing cor- uh, coronary repair due to coronary artery disease. We can use mm-hmm. smaller diameter vessels in pediatric applications potentially one day. And then if we think about growing longer or even um, wider vessels, those have different uses in the, the vascular application. And then as our pipeline and research and discovery teams are working on new projects, we're thinking about expanding that program into complex tissues, taking that human acellular vessel and seeding it with islet cells so that it reacts and functions like a biovascular pancreas. And really, when you wow. think about making different types of, of tissue constructs, we can create ureters or we could maybe create trachea or esophagus. It's really about tweaking our platform. And hopefully one right. day it won't be too far off that we could actually engineer organ systems or complex organ tissues that could be used to help offset the weight for patients needing organs. Yeah, I I would imagine that would be certainly an, uh, a, a long-term goal, but a, exactly. a pretty remarkable one, you know, getting there. Um, yes. So, so the, uh, the, you know, I, I, it seems like the first, you know, you said you're developing for, for 20 years. Um, would it be safe to say that at least, you know, the next, the next application or the next uh, uh, use case for, for this technology shouldn't now take the 20 years because now you've spent so much time in, in 
I, I don't want to say perfecting, but really it sounds like it's pretty close to that where you've learned so much developing the first app for the first application. I imagine uh, ongoing applications or will or upcoming will be able to be developed and rolled out much faster. Yes, we are certainly planning on leveraging the knowledge and the understanding we have of creating acellular tissues with our first human acellular vessel to future product opportunities and pipeline development programs. And, and really for Humicite, it was creating an acellular tissue that would be robust enough to function upon implant but would be clear of mm -hmm. the donor identity so that it would not elicit an immune response because that was very important for us to create a universally implantable product that could be used in any person. And doing that scientifically can be difficult because if you over-decellularize or you over-treat your tissue or your, your protein matrix, it can actually reduce the mechanical stability. We found the balance between creating a strong, robust tissue scaffold and one that's acellular in nature so that it can be implanted into any person without the chance of rejection and then remodel and regenerate to become that patient's own living tissue. So we will definitely leverage that process and, and those scientific accomplishments in our first um, product opportunity with HAV to others down the road. How long does it take from, from implantation to where the, the patient's you know, body and, and cells uh, uh, Accept. I don't know if that's the right word, but accept. You know, basically until the to the implanted portion is, you know, for all for all intents and purposes, a part of the 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 patient's system. How long does it take for it to? You know, I know I know it doesn't absorb, but that's kind of the word I'm thinking of, where you know it accepts it as part of the system, or it, it sure. works alongside as a part of the system. Right. It, it transforms to become that living tissue. And right. you know, we've done quite a bit of research on the preclinical side, evaluating when we start to see infiltration of cells and repopulation of that scaffold into a tissue. And so we have several publications looking at our preclinical models that show that the infiltration of cells and the, the, the repopulation of the, the patient or the, the recipient's cells into our HAV happens as early as four weeks. And then we get complete wow. repopulation where you have multiple layers uh, of tissue that would be seen in a normal vasculature where you've got an endothelial lining on the lumen, you've got a nice um, smooth muscle, dense medial muscle structure in the middle with, with an adventitial mm -hmm. lining out around the outside, which even has microvasculature in it. You know, that can take six months to a year. Um, depending right. on depending on the you know the the patient and we've we've been able to publish some of our clinical data now where we've actually gotten back small portions of the HAV from a few of our clinical recipients to show that what we saw in our preclinical models happens in human patients as well and I think for us one of the key benefits of of utilizing the HAV is that it does become part of your your own living tissue and it's it's yours. Um, maybe to give you an example of, of why a regenerative product is, is incredibly important, um, for our patients who undergo dialysis and who have to go to a dialysis clinic three times a week, 
and they have two large needles put in their arm in order to have the dialysis process work to pull out blood and filter that blood and put the blood back into them. When those needles are pulled out of something that's synthetic or that is um, plastic in nature, those holes don't seal. But when you use Mm -hmm. the HAV and you pull those needles out, the HAV actually heals itself so that the next time the patient goes in, they can continue to needle the HAV for mm-hmm. dialysis and those, those cannulation tracts are healed because it is living tissue. Wow. That's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Um, and, and, you know, this is just the, 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 the first step. So I, I can only imagine what, you know, the next, the next, uh, advances will be and the next advances will be. So, uh, pretty exciting um now i would i would love to visit a lab and and see how this all happens um and i know you have to be careful in in what you share of course because you know this is all proprietary but can you share a little bit about you know the the magic that makes this all happen yes yes absolutely and you know We've gone at this in a very stepwise fashion. So in the very beginning, we knew we had to create a bioreactor system that was self-contained. Um, you know, even 20 years ago when we were working on, on the human acellular vessel on the benchtop, we were trying to recreate what a blood vessel would see inside the body and provide the body or provide the, the growing blood vessel that we were growing on the lab bench with the nutrients and the stimulus it would need to grow a robust tissue. And if you fast Mm -hmm. forward 10 or 15 years, we've now scaled that out to a 200 batch system, which can grow 200 HAV units at a time in individual bioreactor bags that supply the growing tissue with the right nutrients and the right supplements at the right temperature um, and with all the right conditions to stimulate the cells to grow a robust vascular tissue. And as I mentioned earlier, one of the keys to the finishing of our product is to put that finished mature tissue through the decellularization process to remove those cells that were grown and to leave behind a protein matrix that functions as a vascular conduit when put in the body immediately and then repopulates with the patient's own cells. And for me, as a, as you know, a graduate student coming into this research for the first time back in the early 2000s, I had thought that your cells provided the integrity and the substance to your tissue. Um, mm-hmm. So I was, I was quite surprised when we were putting these tissues through these really harsh treatments to remove all of the cells and the donor identity that we were going to have left a strong enough matrix to support mechanical function on implant. Um, and it is really truly the extracellular matrix that the cells create that provides the HAV with its mechanical robustness and its ability to be implanted immediately. Um, and, you know, and, and it took a lot of time to figure out what nutrients we needed to provide the cells, what amino acids, what serums were important in the, in the, in the cocktail that we, we provide the cells and again, how long we grew those cells to is important to make sure the tissue was, was mature and 
and fully formed. And one of the important mm-hmm. pieces that we figured out early on was that in order to mimic what a vascular tissue would see in the body, you had to provide some type of blood flow through the middle of that growing tissue. And so our proprietary system includes the ability to pulse, as we call it, or to flow liquid through the middle of our growing tissue and stimulate what the body would see from a, a, a blood pulse. And that's very wow. important because that makes the, the cells strong and want to grow a robust tissue. So, I mean, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't even begin to imagine the number of, of, you know, challenges and obstacles that had to be overcome. You know, again, going back to, you know, 20 years developing, you know, bioengineered regenerative, you know, blood vessel. Um, it's, it's remarkable, but, I am curious to know just what some of the major, what some of the most significant, you know, challenges were. I mean, just in in hearing you talk about some of the things that that were accomplished, and you know, it it it, it becomes kind of evident what what some of the challenges were that you faced. But could you share some of the the really the the head scratchers. I mean, this whole project's a head scratcher, but, um, you know, what some of the most significant challenges were? Sure. Um, you know, we started Humicite back in 2005 with a great scientific idea and, and some very good laboratory data that said that, that growing acellular tissues was possible. Um, mm-hmm. But, man, we, we've had our fair share of hurdles. Um, you know, I think right away, just trying to put together a bioreactor system when none of the parts were ever available off the shelf was a challenge. Um, very early on, we had one person in in some garage in Chapel Hill who is a professional glass blower that actually blew glass bioreactors for us to use in our development programs because you couldn't buy wow. a bioreactor off the shelf at that point in time. Um, you know, wow. the tubing set and, and the connections and, and the sterile, um, all of the sterile connects that we had to put together to ensure that the system that, that included the bioreactor itself and the growing tissue, but also the media supplying that tissue was all in a sterile contained environment. That didn't that didn't exist, and so we were we were building the pieces from the ground up, um, quite literally, you know. And then once we thought through how how do you put a bioreactor together, it was how do you make a bioreactor system that can be, you know, producing product at commercial scale, and that that took you know ten or fifteen years to pull that all together because nobody had done that before. Um, and we saw similar challenges across all of the departments, um, being right. first. First of its kind is always exhilarating and exciting and, and groundbreaking, but you're also breaking the ground, right? And you're paving the way and you're helping <laughs> FDA and other agencies understand what your product is and how best to evaluate it because they've never seen things like this before. You're working right. with clinical trial programs where surgeons have never implanted a product like this before. And how do you how do you properly do it? How do you properly handle it? How do you follow the patients in the right way to get the information that we needed? Um, so there's there's been a lot of hurdles, and, and I think for Humicite, we just tackled them one at a time, and we didn't take no for an answer 
when we came to a, to a roadblock. Yeah, I would imagine, I would imagine creativity was, was paramount and, and no idea was probably too, too out there to, uh, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with a glass blower down in, uh, uh, I, I forget what state you said, but you know, and, and you're approaching someone like that to, to help with lab equipment because that's, it's, it's that unique. Uh, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Um, it, it certainly so, was, you know, and, you know, go ahead. Sorry. That, no, that's right. I was just going to, I was going to ask about, um, uh, you know, again, go back to that 20 year. I mean, it, it sounds like it's essentially 20 years of almost R and D. I mean, you know, to, to, to really, get this where you needed it to be. It was, it was constant R and D. Um, at least it sounds like it. Was there anything, and I don't know if you could share this or not, but all of that, you know, trial and error, was there anything kind of curious that perhaps could be spun off as a completely separate entity or, or opportunity where, you know, you, you guys, you know, achieve something and, and it turns out it wasn't exactly what you needed or, you know, just maybe it was, but was there, is there an area that you uncovered that would uh, allow for it to be spun off into another company, another product, another that's separate from this in, in, you know, in all of that development? That's a really interesting uh, question, Sean. And, and I'm not sure that there was an actual product that we could spin off, but I can tell you all of the work that we've done to develop preclinical models that support the proper evaluation of a human-engineered product opportunity um, mm-hmm. has, has taken us time and, and really a lot of resources to figure out the best animal models to use to evaluate the product. So I feel like that's a whole that's a whole nother area of, of scientific research that's starting to expand and, and really become prominent as more of these cell and tissue therapy products become, you know, more mature and, and moving into the preclinical and clinical phase. But back when we were creating those models, it, it, it was creating them from scratch. So I think we've learned a lot about what it takes to, to create a good model that the regulatory agencies feel confident in and you as a company feel confident in that you're developing the product and you're, you're, you're understanding its safety and efficacy so you can move forward to that next step. I'd also say some of the other things that kind of came out of our just need to, to figure everything out as we were going was really mm-hmm. how do you support in vitro growth of cells, right? There's a lot of people that can grow cells on, you know, a Petri dish or in a flask or in a simple kind of plastic construct, but it takes a lot to think about how do you grow a three-dimensional tissue so that these cells have all of the nutrients and the gas exchange that they need to put together a stable, multi-layer, three-dimensional network. And so we have years and years and years of data and understanding on what's the best media, what are the best media components, and how do you stimulate cell growth. Right. Fantastic. Well, um, well, you know, I'd, I'd love to continue continue going on this, but we we do need to, to wrap up soon. So I just want to ask uh, before we do, uh, you know, what what's what's next? I mean, it's it's all it's already pretty exciting. I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable to to you know to to put it uh, 
you know, lightly. It's, it's pretty remarkable technology, uh, pretty fantastic. And, uh, you know, really for, for patients, uh, for many, it could be life-changing, um, you know, especially as, as it grows into more applications. But what, you know, what do you see as, as next steps? What's ahead? What's coming in, the, you know, maybe the next few years? Sure. You know, I think for Humicite, we've spent so long, as you said, working on research and development that last year's transition to a public company was huge for us. Um, and that's really given us the focus and the visibility to say we're working on our first product opportunity and focusing all our efforts on getting approval for the human acellular vessel and getting it out there into the commercial market so that more patients can use it. You know, our goal is really to redefine the way surgeons and patients think about their medical care and their, and their health care and providing a biological option that would really change how we think about medicine. And we're completely committed to getting that first human acellular vessel product out there first and foremost. But we're also working on the back, in the background on several other opportunities that would fit into different vascular opportunities, but then also for those uh, other opportunities that might be next, like the biovascular pancreas for pa- patients with type 1 diabetes um, and, and in even other Um, more complex constructs. But we're just really focused on bringing this regenerative medicine technology to market so that we can change the way patients are treated for the better. Yeah, well, I'm sure I don't need to to tell you, but a a bioengineered pancreas would be, I mean, that, that, that's, you know, there's companies working on, as I'm sure you know, you know, uh, solutions for diabetes and self-contained and you know, AI integrated, but actually, you know, replicating a, a pancreas through bioengineered methods would be um, quite remarkable. And, and as I said, as I just said before, it would certainly be uh, um, life-changing for, for many, many people. So, I mean, certainly best of luck in there with that, with that effort. And, and across the board, I mean, really anything. I mean, you know, somebody says, oh, it's just a just a, a a blood vessel or just a you know the vasculature well that's that's pretty remarkable you know that's that's nothing to, to you know to to uh to scoff at but uh i mean when when you start talking about other applications and next steps i mean that's that's where it starts to get you know truly exciting and 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 uh and you know changing for for someone's life so best of luck i mean absolutely um, Thank you. Well, I appreciate the 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 time here today and and the kind words. We're we're actively working on bringing biological solutions to patients and and really hope to have an impact soon. Great. Well, unfortunately, though, that is all the time we have for this episode of MedTech Matters. Uh, I'd very much like to thank my guest, Dr. Juliana Blum co-founder and executive VP of corporate development at Humasite. And as always, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. So until next time, this has been Sean Fenske, editor-in-chief of MPO, saying thanks for listening.